Has anybody ever lied to you? Well, of course. We, we've been lied to, all of us, many times. And, and if we're honest, there have been times when we've misrepresented the truth as well. But, but how do we know if somebody's lying to us? You go into the store, you see a salesman. They're waxing eloquently about what this, this product can do. How do you know if they're telling you the truth? You, you uh, turn on the news or you turn on the radio and you hear a, a public figure, a business leader, a politician, uh, maybe a sports figure, uh, and they're, they're making claims. They're, they're talking about something and you wonder, how can I know if they're telling the truth? Uh, maybe you've been lied to by somebody close to you. Those are the ones that hurt the most, right? We're, we're pretty good usually at, with people that we know. We can kind of figure out by their body language, by their eye contact, by how they're acting. We can, we can often, there are certain things we can pick up on to know if they're telling us the truth. But, but in general, how do we know if somebody's telling us the truth? In John 14, 6, Jesus made an astounding, radical claim. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the life, and I am the truth. I am the truth. Jesus doesn't say, I'm telling you the truth about these things. He's saying, I am the truth. I'm truth embodied. There's nothing false in me. Everything about me is true. I am the truth. How do we know that? How do we know that Jesus is telling us the truth? If Jesus is telling us the truth... It changes everything, right? If he's telling us the truth about life, about the afterlife, about sin, about forgiveness, it changes everything. But how do we know? In Mark chapter 2, we're continuing our sermon series we started last week in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 2, we have a story where there are some people, some of his listeners, who really doubt that Jesus is telling them the truth, that he can really do what he says He can do. Let's pick it up in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So here's the scene. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, after he grew up in Nazareth with his parents Mary and Joseph, at some point he moved to Capernaum as an adult. We're not sure how long he lived there, but we know he lived there because in the passage it says the people heard that he had come home. So Jesus had been there. It was a small town, fishing village on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus was was probably using his trade as a carpenter to to make a living, and people would have known him or at least knew of him. They would have seen him at the synagogue. And so when people hear that Jesus is coming home, they come out in large droves. Why? Well, because right before this, at the the last part of chapter one, we see Jesus going out and beginning this public ministry. He's he's preaching, he's teaching, he's healing, he's doing exorcisms, all these things uh, in his home area around the Sea of Galilee. And and they're hearing about this. Uh, Jesus is going viral. There's there's a buzz about him. And so the people turn out to see this hometown boy and see what the big deal is about. It'd be like if somebody from Salina um, lived here for a number of years. People knew who this person was. And, and all of a sudden, everywhere you look, you read about this person. There, you go to social media. People are discussing him. 
You go uh, to websites, you go to the radio, go to cable news. That's all you hear. That's all you see about this person and who they are. They're impressive. They're spectacular. They're amazing people. And this person decides to come back for a visit. People would turn out. Some people would come because of civic pride. You know, hey, they're one of us. You know, local boy made good. Some would come because they're kind of skeptical. I knew him back then. No way. This, this can't, there's something not right here. Some would come because they want to knock him down a notch, look for weaknesses so they would feel better about, about their own lives. Regardless of their motives, there's a huge crowd and people are crammed into the house where Jesus is, is speaking, where he's teaching, and they're spilling out into the streets. And then we pick it up here in verse 3. Something crazy happens. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, in what world is it okay to cut a hole in somebody else's roof? I mean, you know, you're having a dinner party, you have your houses full, you're having a conversation, you have a special guest, and all of a sudden you hear a crack and dust becomes, begins to come down, plaster comes down, and all of a sudden there's a hole in the roof. I mean, what world is that okay? Well, I guess if you had a fire, it'd be okay if a firefighter did that, but, but I can't think of any other scenarios. You know, I remember when, uh, when I was a youth pastor in Indiana, there was a distraction during a worship service. Uh, I can't remember if the, the pastor was preaching or, or uh, doing an announcement, but he was speaking. And off to the side, there was the organist, and the organist was sitting there. And all of a sudden, all the eyes were over there. Actually, they were above the organist because there was a bat. And it was kind of squeaking and making noise, and you looked over, and there were bat droppings on the organ. And, like, you know, forget about what the pastor was saying, right? It took a while to get people's attention. That's kind of what's happening here. I mean, Jesus is speaking all of a sudden. Speaker's worst nightmare. There's a hole in the roof. What do you do? But suddenly the focus is riveted back on Jesus because through the hole comes this man, this paralyzed man lowered down by his friends. He's laying in front of Jesus. And what are these townspeople? What's their first thought? This is what we came for. This is what we've heard about. This is where we're going to see if he's the real deal. We're going to see healing. This is something we can, this is why we came. We can tell our, our grandkids about this someday. We saw Jesus heal a paralyzed man. Isn't that what you'd expect probably? If you saw this happen, but then Jesus surprises them. He shocks them. There's a twist in the story, as there often is with Jesus. He always surprises, it seems, by what he says and by what he does. Verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the man laying there must have thought, well, what? That, that's nice, but... I, I want to be healed. I want to, I want to be able to walk. And, and the crowd must have been kind of stunned by this twist. What's going on here? Uh, a couple of weeks back, our, our church um, uh, hosted a, a, a preaching workshop class. Uh, several of us on staff and a few from church participated. Uh, and the guy who led it was a na- man named Dr. Kent Edwards. And he shared, I, I was listening to one of his podcasts, and he shared a story about when he was preaching on this passage. It was at a medical convention uh, like I see him, you know, one of the Christian medical uh, uh, dental uh, conventions. And, and the doctors, after he got done, they were talking about this passage. And, and they told him that their conclusion was that this man had been paralyzed because of a very recent accident. And he said, well, how could you know that? He said, well, if he had been paralyzed weeks or months or years before, he would have been dead already. 
Because back then they didn't have antibiotics. I mean, bed sores, infections would have claimed his life already. So this had to have been a very recent accident. And so the paralyzed man and his friends, they would have known his condition was terminal. Uh, They knew that he was going to meet his maker if he wasn't healed soon. Ironically, he did meet his maker here. And Jesus sees their faith and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you hear somebody say something pretty radical and surprising like that, what is what's often our first response? How can I know this person is telling the truth? How can I know that this person can deliver on their promises, do what they're claiming? I mean, think about if uh, if a big van or truck during Santa Fe days rolled down Santa Fe or during River Festival, a big truck or van rolled into Oakdale Park and, and a guy gets out and he begins waxing eloquently, speaking and passionately about the benefits of this special one of a kind generational a secret recipe that if you drink this potion, you'll look 20 years younger, you'll live 20 years longer and your immune system will be better than ever. You'd rightly wonder, okay. How can I know this guy is telling me the truth? How can I know that this guy can deliver on what he promises? Well, that's what these people in the crowd were thinking. How can we know that Jesus is telling us the truth? How can we know Jesus has the power to forgive our sins? We can be confident that Jesus can forgive our sins because Jesus has the power of regeneration. We can trust that Jesus cleanses us of all our wrongdoing because Jesus can bring dead things back to life. Verse 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Just a few minutes before, there's a hole in the roof, and now figuratively, they're raising the roof. They're celebrating, they're worshiping what they've just, what Jesus and what they've just seen. This is the ultimate prove it moment, isn't it? You know, one of my favorite, actually, my favorite basketball player growing up was, was Larry Bird. He could do it all. Uh, he could sh- incredible shooter, a great rebounder, incredible passer, smart defender, made steals at timely moments. He was very, very clutch. And one of the things he was most known for when he played among his peers was he was known to be an incredible trash talker. He would tell uh, somebody guarding him, I'm going to get the ball out of bounds on this play. We're going to run this play. I'm going I'm to dribble there. I'm going to shoot over you and you can't stop me. And he would do it. He would do it time and time again. You hear these stories of how he would tell somebody, I'm going to do this. You can't stop me. And then he would do it. He proved on the court that he could back up his promises. Jesus says to the religious leaders, I can forgive sins. I have authority to do this. And so you know that I can. I tell this man, get up, take your mat and go home. And it happened. How can we know that Jesus is telling us the truth about forgiving our sins. We can be confident that Jesus can forgive our sins because because Jesus has the power of regeneration. He can bring dead things to life. And he's proved it. How can we know for sure that Jesus is telling the truth about forgiving our sins? We can be confident that Jesus can forgive our sins because Jesus is God. Because Jesus came to earth as, as God. 
He has the full capacity to forgive anything we've ever done, are doing, or will do. The teachers of the law, they would have understood what Jesus was claiming. They ask in verse 7, who can forgive but God alone? They're right. They're right. Only God can forgive sins. I mean, we forgive people, you know, all the time, right? You know, somebody does something, uh, they come to us, they apologize for what they've done or didn't do or said, and, and uh, we, we typically forgive them most of the time. Hopefully we do. Um, we'll, we kind of say something to the effect of, well, I appreciate you coming to me and taking responsibility. Thank you for acknowledging the, the pain and the hurt you've caused. Uh, thank you for ex- expressing regret. Uh, I don't hold against you. We're good. But what about the sins that people cannot or will not forget and forgive in others or in us? What about the sins we're not even aware of? I mean, because God is perfect in every way, because God is aware of all things, because God knows all things, because God knows our motives behind every single thing that we do and think, only God has the power and the authority to forgive our sins. Jesus' listeners here, they knew that and they believed that. That's why they're so outraged. I mean, why was Jesus crucified on the cross? It wasn't because he healed people. It wasn't because he broke certain social barriers. They didn't like it. But that's not why he was killed. It wasn't because he was a great teacher who grew drew uh, great crowds. They didn't, they're kind of jealous of that, but that's not why he was killed. He was killed because he claimed to be God. They believed that he claimed to be God. And, and Jesus backed up those claims by the things that he did, which culminated in his resurrection from the dead. How can we be sure that Jesus is telling us the truth about the, the authority that he has to forgive our sins? We can be confident that Jesus can forgive our sins because he claimed to be God. And then he he backed it up. He proves it. We can trust that Jesus can forgive our sins because he alone has the power of regeneration. Now, what difference does that make? Well, it changes everything. If it's true, it changes everything, doesn't it? If Jesus can do miracles, if Jesus can bring about regeneration, making dead things come to life, well, it changes everything. When we know what Christ has done for us, there's to be a personal response of surrender. If Jesus says, forgiven me of my sin, and I believe that, I know that, I owe him everything, don't I? The Apostle Paul says this in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, because Jesus is God and because he can bring us to life both now and forever, we owe him everything. It changes everything. We can trust him with everything. I can surrender my life to him. I don't have to try to control this or that. I don't have to be afraid of this or that. When I understand what Christ has done for me, forgiving my sins and bringing me to life, I give my life completely to him. I want you this morning to think about different aspects of your life. Uh, okay, your, your, your relationships, your marriage, if you're married, uh, your children, 
your, your parents, your siblings, your coworkers, your job, your money, your, uh, your use of your time, your, your health, your priorities. I want you to think of, about those things and ask yourself, have I surrendered them all to Christ? And then I want you to identify one or, or two areas where you're pretty sure you haven't surrendered them all to Jesus. And then I want you to take specific steps to relinquish control, to grow in your faith, to grow in your trust, to increase your surrender, your trust in Jesus because of what he's done for you. Because he's forgiven your sins, because he's made you new in him. It might mean reordering your calendar or your budget. It might mean drastic changes in your relationships. But when we know what Christ has done for us, our response is to be, Surrender. Next, when we really understand what Christ has done for us, it should motivate us to tell other people. It changes everything. It should motivate us to tell other people. We, we go the extra mile like putting a hole in a roof. Not literally. <laughs> Don't try that at home. But figuratively, we, we, we go the extra mile. We, we do something radical or, or crazy. We, 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 we do whatever we can to, to lower barriers, to remove barriers to bring others to Jesus because we understand that Jesus is the only one who can forgive our sins and, and regenerate our lives and the lives of others. He can bring what was dead to life. And so come up with specific steps that you can take to tell others about Jesus. What barriers do you need to remove? What actions can you take to demonstrate your love for them and your faith in Christ? When we really understand what Christ has done, It changes everything, and it should motivate us to tell others about it. So how can we be sure that Jesus can forgive our sins? On a daily basis, because daily basis, people, they always, many times, we see people promise things that they can't deliver. How can we be sure? Because Mark is crystal clear. The medical evidence is there. Jesus alone has the power of regeneration. He regenerated a man's Severed, broken spinal cord. He can regenerate your life and anyone else's. And when we understand that, it changes everything because because when Jesus promises to forgive sins, he's not promising what he can't deliver. Because he's God. He proved it. And because he has the power and the authority to forgive our sins and bring new life. To all who ask. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. And we're grateful for your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we can be confident that Jesus, when he says he can forgive our sins, that we can trust him. Jesus alone has the power to bring dead things to life. He proved it throughout his life. He proved it after his death. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is truly God. That again, he claimed it and he proved it. Lord, help us to be people who, in response to this incredible news, surrender everything we have to Jesus, to grow in a deeper trust and faith. And help us, Lord, to be people, because of what Jesus Christ has done, that we would be motivated to tell others about it, because 
if it's true, and we believe that it is, it truly does change everything. We offer ourselves to you now, Jesus. In your name, amen.